Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, we're in the heart of Rome, not the actual city of Rome, but the tournament of Rome right now as we come to you here on the Tennis Podcast. And it is one of those tournaments where everybody is playing, everything is going on, everybody's had a drama, it feels to me, on the court so far over the course of this week. And um, Catherine and Matt, we've got to try to make some sort of sense of it all because, I don't know, it feels it feels frantic to me, Catherine, Rome right now. Is that is that the sense you get? Yes, it is. I, I have had a sort of Manic Monday feel um, over the past few days, but is that because the last couple of 1,000 events that we've experienced have been ones spread out over more than a week? So we're not actually used to what used to be the kind of standard feel of a Masters or a 1,000 or a Premier Mandatory, you know, they're all called 1,000s now, but yeah, for consistency for anyone that's still using old money. This this is what they're supposed to feel like, and I think this is the optimum feeling of them, actually. I'm not saying there haven't been the odd moment where I felt like there aren't enough screens available and I don't have enough bandwidth to follow everything that's going on, but this is the great thing about combined 1,000 events. I think, and this is how they should feel, uh, as mm, hectic uh, as it sometimes feels. B- Bandwidth-wise, Ma- um, Matt, you, you did uh, test that out the other day, didn't you? The day after the rain, <laughs> I'd see, I saw more <laughs> windows on your computer screen than I've ever seen on anybody's. <laughs> I found out that there's a limit on, on the number of Amazon Prime streams you can have going at any one time, and I hit that <laughs> limit on Wednesday morning. When I What's attempted to watch six matches at once, so I think five <laughs> might be the limit. <laughs> it's like when you you go over the li- limit of items to try on in a in a changing room in a shop, and you have to sacrifice the one that you have to admit to yourself the one that you were, was never going to look any good on you. In that moment, with the shop assistant standing there, you have to front up to the reality that that crop top was never going to look okay. Which match was the crop top? Man? It was Cameron Norrie. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Poor old Cam. 
<laughs> so what made the grade at that particular point? Oh, goodness. I think team was playing Fuchsiewicz. Um, Zachary and Goff were playing. Gosh, I, I can't even remember what the other ones were, but Cameron there Murray was There were was, four was in belting WTA matches at the same time, weren't there? I remember that. Yes. Um, but, yeah. But okay. it's one of those where it's it's actually better if you sacrifice some because you can't watch six matches at once. Mm. You end up watching no matches. Jeff Bezos is doing you a favour. <laughs> I think two is sort of the limit of when you can watch a match properly. You can watch two matches at once. Anything more than that, and I think you're not really watching any matches. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I went full on with a single match, I remember, at the time, in the end, because I just had enough. Um, let's let's start covering some of these results that we've had over the course of the week because we're, we're nearing the quarterfinal stages of Rome and fortunately pretty much everything is played as as you said Catherine kind of at the same time and at the right time so the women's quarterfinals are on their way the men's quarterfinals are on their way as we come to you on Thursday evening at the moment there as we as we're talking right now we've just been watching Dominic Team level up against Lorenzo Sonigo I'm saying that right today uh, from Italy uh, when the second set on a tie break and and first of all, Catherine, fans, crowd. Um, everything of all. First, last, mm. everything. It, that that match is sort of a twilight match involving an Italian in Rome, an underdog Italian taking on a, a big seed um, with, doesn't matter how many fans are there. I, th- I think it's probably about a quarter full. I don't know officially what the what capacity they've allowed in, but I think when they when they show the shots of the fans, it looks fairly threadbare, about a quarter full. But that's not how it sounds and how it feels. It feels full. It makes my heart feel full. It's that's how the the latter stages of the, that, that second set that I was just watching made me feel, and it's it's everything. It's just wonderful. It's everything we've been missing, and it's also everything Dominic Team has been missing. He's he's talked a lot, hasn't he, about how how hard he's found it not to have that buzz. Well, he's he's got that right now, as you said, that late evening match against a home favourite. It, it doesn't get much more atmospheric than that. Mm. Um, I, I think I would find it particularly busy out there if I hadn't, during one of the rain delays, watched the entirety of Andy Murray against Novak Djokovic from 2016 in the final uh, a, a couple of days ago when there was not a seat spare. And, you know, you've got Andy Murray as one of the two best players in the world playing full throttle. It was fantastic. But my goodness, did it feel claustrophobic to me because I'm just not used to it anymore. Did I mean, you find yourself the... going, why, why aren't they wearing a mask? Why are they hugging? <laughs> I, I, I just touching sort of found, one another. I, I found myself feeling, I mean, I always feel that the the Rome centre court, and if you compare it, relatively speaking, to say Roland Garros and the court Philippe Chatrier, there's a lot less space around it. Uh, Rafael Nadal, I think one of the reasons he finds it a little more tricky is because he hasn't got quite as much room mm. to run back into to retrieve balls. Um, I mean, the spectators that, are almost literally on top of one another, aren't they? Because yeah. of how steep the sides are. And I kind of love it in in my pre-pandemic sort of frame of mind but in my 
current frame of mind i'm just i do feel a little bit anxious watching it and it's just how close all the crowd are and how packed together they are and how unbothered they are about those things of course they would be unbothered that was that was what life used to be like um but still you know it was great to watch it and it's great to just have a little sense of of things coming back this week this is a slight tangent but it's related i don't know why i found myself watching this because by all accounts, it was a it was a bad day for tennis, but for some reason, I was rewatching some highlights of the women's French Open semis at Roland Garros from a couple of years ago, when they were played on Suzanne Longlen and Simone Mathieu court, and in front of not many fans. And looking at it now, I actually feel like there were loads of people there because I'm so used to there being nobody in the stadium. I was I was surprised by, sort of pleasantly surprised by how many were in the stadium. And yet at the were time... Like, what were we all complaining about? Yeah, at the time? I was. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, still, it was a bad day for tennis and there weren't many people there in terms of how many there should have been. But it's just, it's bizarre how, how this last year has changed our perspective on things. Mm, yeah. Uh, right. These results I keep promising everybody. Um, well, I mean, look, the thing is that there's, there's so many good stories. This is what gets me is that it's big names everywhere. And I think one of the reasons that I'm pleased we're doing Thursday shows as well is because you, we, we've got a lot of people to talk about who lost in the first round. Big names. And it leaves the quarterfinals to themselves for us on Monday. But I mean, let's start at the top. Serena Williams made a return. We haven't seen her since, what, the Australian Open? I don't think we've seen her since then. And um, she played Nadia Podoroska, uh, who was the semi-finalist at Roland Garros last year. I mean, in the, in the kind of October uh, instalment of the French Open. And Serena lost 7-6, 7-5. And I mean, I don't. I'd, I'm curious to hear what you, what you think of of her performance and how she looks. I mean, I thought she looked all right, and yet she still lost in straight sets. Yeah, I, I felt the same. I I didn't watch all of it. I watched quite a lot of the first set. I mean, they were both tight sets. Um, yeah, I thought she looked quite good. And, and Podoroska is a French Open semi finalist. The last match of hers, I saw her play on clay was a grand slam semi-final um and i don't i don't know i don't feel like we have enough information to know how much of a flash in the pan that was um specifically on clay um so yeah putting serena's loss into context is sort of a bit difficult because because of lack of data on both the serena and the podoroska side I but yeah, basically I agree. I thought she looked all right. I thought her movement didn't look quite as sharp as it had in Australia, but I wouldn't have expected it to. Remember, we were all really blown away by how sharp she looked and how quickly she looked sharp on the movement front in Australia. That's the best she's moved for a really long time. And clay isn't her most natural surface to move on. This is her first tournament on the stuff. I wouldn't have expected it to look as good. And I did look at that drawer and think that's a tricky one for her first first match on clay. So I'd, I, it, on one hand, I think that's not a shocker. It doesn't make me really concerned. On the other, I sort of have the 
thoughts along the lines of what we discussed with Naomi Osaka the last podcast. If you're really serious about winning the French Open, and that's why she's in this game still to to win Grand Slams. Okay, the French Open might be the least likely, but she'd still blooming like to win it. Can you just rock up and play one tournament beforehand? Probably not. And I I do think we'll probably see her take a wild card into into one of the events prior to Roland Garros now, especially given there's the extra week. Well, I believe it's been announced she's she's taken one into Ooh. Parma in Italy next Ooh. week. Her and Venus have both taken wild cards. Oh, yes, please. And actually, there's a great field there generally. How cool is that? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it, it's great actually that there's this two week break before the French Open for these smaller events. It's They're great getting better predicting a thing that can immediately pre- be proven right because <laughs> you're just a little bit behind with the news. <laughs> but yes, I mean, this has worked out marvelously. <laughs> yeah, and I would I would really agree with that assessment of Serena. I think. I was left with a slightly strange feeling because I was expecting her to win. And yet at the same time, she also played better than I expected. So I think probably the reason why she didn't win was because Podoroska was way better than I expected. She was, she was really good. You sort of saw the level that she produced at the French open last year. Um, yeah. Serena's footwork and movement, not her sharpest, but not surprising. I think more first serves as well would be, definitely something she would expect from herself going forward and yeah I thought it was totally fine for a first match for 10 weeks on her least favorite surface but it is interesting that she's now playing that extra event she she clearly wanted two or three matches in Rome didn't get that feels she needs more matches I, I guess I guess she is entering Roland Garros thinking she can win it of course she is but I, I still view it through the same way I would view it for Federer in that ultimately it feels like whatever she does at Roland Garros is preparation for Wimbledon. Mm. I still think she's a has the potential to be a very clay court player, a very good clay court player. I think the problem on clay is that there are there are so many really great clay court players that have come through in the past couple of years. That's the problem. The the bar is is raised, mm. um, but yeah, she wouldn't. I, she wouldn't be bothering if she didn't think she had a chance. And no, absolutely. I, yeah, it's it's still Serena Williams. There was a very nice moment at the net when uh, Podoroska just sort of almost bowed her head and touched her heart in the direction of Serena Williams out of respect. And I thought it was a it was a really nice feel to that and uh, recognition of everything that Serena Williams means to the game and means to a player like that and what a privilege it must be really I think to take the court with her and and get the win I mean what a moment and actually Podoroska lost in her next match and I think that that's just a a sign of kind of what you're saying Catherine there are so many good players now and it's not even just the Avengers the WTA Avengers Mm. that, that that you you coined that <laughs> phrase, but the wider field, the field of players that are trying to get in with the Avengers pack. I mean, my goodness, there's so many of them. And and if we move on to Naomi Osaka, who's just the boss really over the last year and in so many situations, and she's been beaten seven six six two 
by a woman that I don't think we would say is part of the Avengers group, and that's Jessica Pagula. And yet she has frequently got in the way of players. She's She has messed people up because she's a lethal player when she's on a game. And I, I watched a lot of that match. Uh, I think I watched most of it. And, and Osaka looked pretty good in the first set. Uh, Matt, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what you thought. I mean, she, to me, I thought, here we go. Osaka's had her first little taste of clay and now she's finding her feet. And and she didn't win that set. She should have won that set and things turned and went pretty spectacularly away from her after that. It all, it all went a bit Medvedev, didn't it? <laughs> yes, just well, without the sarcasm. Mm. Yeah, more sarcasm, Naomi, please. If you're going to have this sort of relationship with Clay, please insert some sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. Um, yeah, I think I agree, David. I thought first set, Osaka looked looked pretty good, but then when she didn't win it, and she should have done, I think she had three set points. The wheels came off in that second set, and it was sort of highlighted by an absolutely terrible smash. Just after she'd broken back in the second set, she then lost her serve again. Awful smash, missed the court by several feet and then didn't win another game. And it's just it's just fascinating to me how different the experience is watching Naomi Osaka on a clay court compared to on a hard court because she has tight moments on a hard court. It's not like she's crushing everyone she plays. In I think in all the hard court slams she's won, she's had some sort of escape and then gone on to win the title. And that escape comes from a willingness to dig deep and just a belief that she can get out of it. And it, it feels like certainly that belief is missing on a clay court. Um, but yeah, I mean, the greats are, are probably never as far away as they seem. And she lost a tight one against Mukova in, in Madrid. If that goes a bit differently, who knows? She, if she'd won the first set against Bagula, who knows? But it's interesting what you're saying. The worst thing for Osaka at the moment, to me, it feels like, is a bye in round one on mm. clay because then she's running into either Kasatkina or Pagula in her first match. And as you said, there are so many good players. If she's not feeling the conditions, not feeling herself on clay, that's a very difficult first match. Um, I mean, I was looking at her results from 2019 on clay and it's interesting to me that her results this year have regressed. She had seven wins on clay mm. going into Roland Garros in 2019. It, it's in her head, isn't it? She'd reached the quarters it, in Stuttgart, Madrid and Rome. And she's probably going to have one win this year going into Roland Garros. And I, I think it's I really think it's in, her, in head. her head. How can I be this good and feel this confident? It's, you know, I can, I can imagine how it happens. And she is incredibly bamboozlingly human isn't she about her greatness that's one of the things that's so charming about her I can imagine her just feeling like it's the same bloody game how can it feel so different um mm. and I, I think the confidence is so frail isn't it it as evidenced by you know she puts together a good set doesn't win it and Exactly as you described, the wheels come off. I always think that's an indicator of the confidence being a, a real house of cards. You know, one thing one thing makes it waver and it all comes tumbling down. Um, I mean, 
I always, I always kind of support Naomi Osaka because I just think she's wonderful. But equally, I am finding it compelling how how difficult she finds clay. And it's really highlighting one of the most beautiful things about tennis, which is the different challenges presented by the surfaces. I know, you know, you have Lynx golf courses and you have different Formula One circuits. And, you know, most sports have an element of this. But I do feel like it's most extreme and most exaggerated in its effect in tennis. And it's a it's a brilliant thing. Would you put her in your top five favourites for Roland Garros oh, right now? No. Nowhere near. Nowhere near. Possibly not even in the top ten. No. <gasps> I wouldn't put her in the top ten. Uh, that isn't a formulated thought. No. But D- absolutely not, not, not winning the, matches on clay. Absolutely not the top five. She doesn't want a match, David. <laughs> She's Naomi Osaka, Catherine. <laughs> But she's not on clay. And she doesn't believe she is. I mean, it is compelling. It's totally... I do think she'll get there in her career because I don't think she'll allow herself not to get there. But the journey is going to be long and winding. Who's more likely to win it out of Osaka and Serena? Serena. Serena. Serena's won it before. (gasps) I'm amazed. Are you? I was not expecting you to say that. Oh, definitely, really? Serena. She's she's won French Opens before. Oh, I'm really fascinated by that. I mean, I would say I would say the opposite, um, but I'm really fascinated that you both feel feel that. Um, I see what you're saying, but yeah, very interesting. Do you um, also think uh, Medvedev might win the French Open? <laughs> no, I do not. Because <laughs> I do. But neither think does he. I honestly think Medvedev and Osaka might have formed some sort of WhatsApp support group. <laughs> no, I, the difference is that Osaka thinks that she can sort this out and Medvedev... Not this season, though. I don't think she Medvedev believes she understands. can... I think in in the macro, she believes she can sort this out. I don't think she thinks it's happening in the micro. Wow. I mean, Medvedev is... <laughs> taking the mick out of his own inability to play on the surface. And uh, and he doesn't think he's going to get past the first round, I don't think, at French Open. Didn't he say that was his season goal, to win a match at the French Open, which he's never done? I think he said it was his goal for the season. What's his perfect draw at the French Open? Who would he Ooh. want? So have a think about that for when we get into the second half of the show and we talk about the men. Uh, but let's just give a quick word on Jessica Pagula because Misha's she backed up Zverev. that win. <laughs> he's not getting in the draw. Hasn't he retired? Has he? <laughs> no, I don't think he has. But I, mean, I just keep thinking of him doing TV at the Australian Open. But anyway. Well, exactly. He's got um, his eye on other things, and it's not exactly a clay court game, is it? No, no. Uh, Jessica Pagula backed up that win. She beat uh, Ekaterina Alexandrova, who managed to luck out a, a journey into the next round by getting a walkover against the player who was going to win the title, Jennifer Brady, um, because Brady sadly got injured. So, um, yeah, so it's Pegula against Petra Martic in the quarterfinals. Why, Matt, is Pegula winning matches in Rome? I would not have expected that either with her game. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, she's... She's winning matches everywhere this year, but it does feel like 
the clay would be the least likely place for that. I think she would admit that. She hasn't got a traditional clay court game, but she's making her game work. One thing she said is that she's changed her court position. She's she's standing further back to give herself more time to sort of adjust to the bounces. She actually used the example of Sabalenka. She said, I saw Sabalenka in Madrid and she was playing aggressive, but she wasn't standing inside the court. She was being aggressive from behind. And I thought, I can do that with my game, with my flat hits. And yeah, she's beaten Kazakina, Saka and Alexandrova. And I just think she's comfortable moving on clay reasonably because she's, she's played a bit on green clay. And then she's just playing her game and she's she's incredibly calm on the court, almost almost nonplussed about things. And I think she's not letting the fact that it's clay bother her. She's just playing and sort of seeing where it takes her. And yeah, she she's one of my favorite players to watch this season because there's this there's this calmness about her and she and yet she can take over matches with her game. She's she's having big, big results and with Olympic qualification in mind, she needs to be the fourth ranked American. She's currently the sixth, but it's very tight between her, Alison Risk and Madison Keys. And she kind of probably needed a draw to open up a little bit. And this one has in Rome. And, you know, Petromatics will be very tricky in the quarters, but it's a big, big chance to reach the semis. Her attitude's great, isn't it? Mm. She's, yeah, makes her, makes her a great watch. She's, yeah, she's, she's interesting, Pagula. Yeah. Um, one player who hasn't had success playing like Arena Sabalenka in Madrid is Arena Sabalenka in Rome because she's been beaten by Coco Goff today. And I think Goff has made a real statement this week already in the first two matches that she's won. First of all, she beat Maria Sakkari and now she's backed it up by beating Sabalenka. And her athleticism we knew about, but I still think, I mean, as as kind of good an athlete as she has clearly always been, she was a junior athlete when we were watching her. Really, I mean, the the age she was, she first came along into our consciousness a couple of years ago and was winning matches on the tour. She was a, a kid, really, and now she she looks like an adult. There's a there's a there's a sort of presence about her now. She she's obviously grown a little bit, I would say, and just carrying herself in very confidently and and self assuredly, and and beating proper players back to back, big hitters, standing up to them, diffusing the game, um, and it's. I think it's really encouraging. I, I, I was interested to see. I often like to read Pam Shriver's tweets when she turns on uh, Tennis Channel in the States uh, and just sort of has an immediate impression of something that's going on. And she was she was a little bit concerned about how Goff was sort of running around her forehand to hit her backhand in tight moments and things like that. But watching her today against Sabalenka was very impressive. Very impressive, Catherine. What 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 did you did that surprise you to see Sabalenka lose? I mean, we do sometimes see this, don't we, in Rome, coming off the back of of a, of a win in Madrid, where the conditions are quite different. It it didn't, in principle, surprise me that she lost early-ish in Rome. I was expecting her to hit the wall, kind of physically, emotionally. The conditions are very, very different. It's a huge adjustment. That doesn't surprise me. I was surprised that it was to Coco Goff. Perhaps not 
quite so much after the Sakari win. But Coco Golf has been a bit of a worry for me recently. Not a massive hit the panic button. She's not going to fulfill any of the promise that we all went gaga about a year and a half, two years ago. But just uh, let's just hold our horses. This could take a fair bit longer than we thought. Um, kind of a worry. She's been having really major problems on serves, huge spatterings of, of double faults, looked very much to be in her head, sort of a bit of a crisis of confidence, really. Um, and I'd sort of told myself to just stop expecting things of her, really. Um, so, so her having this run now, um, sort of off the back of nothing much has has surprised me. Look, it doesn't surprise me that she's capable of really brilliant tennis. Of course, we know that. But I thought she was having a turbulent, a, a really quite a turbulent patch. Um, and yeah, this this has surprised me. It's it's brilliant, but it has yeah, it's it's come a bit out of left field for me. Matt, what did you think? Yeah, I was I was trying to figure out whether this was just the end of a purple patch for Sabalenka. And I think perhaps it was. She was certainly nowhere near as good as she was in Madrid, where conditions certainly favoured her. But Goff's ca- caused her problems in the past. It was a, it was a one-all head-to-head coming in, and she'd, she'd taken a set in that other match that she'd lost. And Sabalenka never felt comfortable to me. Whatever Goff was doing, it seemed that she was keeping Sabalenka off balance. It, it felt like she was reading where she was hitting the ball and intelligently putting it in difficult spots for Sabalenka. I, th- I thought it was a really impressive performance from Goff, the best I've seen her play in a while. But I think the interesting thing with her is there's been this reversal in her career where she made her breakthrough and every match she played was under the spotlight. It was a story. It was a moment, Coco Goff playing. And we we saw her make runs at 15 years old, win a title at 15 years old. Whereas now she's making her progress much more quietly on the tour, quarterfinals, semifinals of tour events, and is sort of going through that developmental phase that all tennis players have to go through. She's just done it in a slightly different order, perhaps. And really encouraging today no double faults because that has been a worry and I'm sure there will be setbacks she will hit double faults going forward she'll have matches where that problem rears its head again but I think quite quietly she's made some real strides and progress with her game which maybe hasn't quite had the headlines that she had 18 months ago but she looks an improved player seeing her today Mm. Mm. it's exciting Mm. Um, we've just had a 20 minute delay after Dominic team leveled up at one set all and I was trying to work out what was going on I was trying to work out who's injured they'd hit the curfew and they've emptied the stadium and oh, they've no. started up again so it's gone from that incredible atmosphere with the with the home player oh. Sonigo in front of his home crowd and now it's eerie silence in an empty stadium and they're battling it out again <laughs> so uh yeah I'd forgotten all about that I didn't think I would ever see that again when it happened mm-hmm. in Australia yeah. It felt like this is the iconic moment that we'll remember forever. Mm. And it's happened it, a few times It just now. keeps happening. Yeah. Yes, it's <laughs> happened every night in Madrid and we didn't even remark upon it. 
Yeah. So actually, I mean, there are still there's quite a big group of uh, supporters. I think of Sonigo courtside, just of his support team. But anyway, they're battling it out, and he's too love up, so he doesn't need a crowd. He's better off with nobody. Did, did this happen during Fritz Djokovic? Yes. And that there was sort of about thirty people in the Fritz player box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, brought his own little support the, team the claiming to be sort of official <laughs> support but yeah yeah exactly um the uh the rest of the the draw i mean this, it's incredible draw i was th- just thinking that you know when we did that projected quarterfinals in the women's draw and it's just a who's who of massive names well the only match that has come to fruition from what i can see is fiontech against Svitolina. Um, mm. Svitolina beating Magarutha today, who I think looks a bit undercooked because she's been injured. 6-4, 6 uh, coming back from um, a set down in her previous match, I noticed. And I think she could be dangerous um, this tournament. She's won it twice before in the last four years, actually. Just suits her down to the ground. And I think particularly now that, say, one player I thought might beat her here would have I, I would have probably put Simona Halep ahead of her, and Halep has now withdrawn. Really concerning this because she was beating Angelique Kerber handily, and then tore a tore a calf muscle, basically just walking around on the baseline. I mean, it was a, it was a it was a it was a kind of nothing moment of of activity, and yet she's done some real damage to herself, and and it appears that Ronan Garros her participation is really in doubt now. Um, it's, it's it's such a shame that it sucks. She it's was just finding a way, news. wasn't she? She won the first set six one against Kerber, and I think watching Halop on clay is like it's just watching somebody in their element. Mm. There is no player more suited to a surface, I don't think, than Simona Halop on clay. Maybe Rafael Nadal on clay, I guess you could say, but she just looks balanced at all times and. Oh, what a what a bummer. It was horrible. It all seemed to escalate so quickly. She was just standing on the baseline and sort of, you know, just sort of kicked up her leg. And it seemed so innocuous. It seemed like, you know, she had an itch or something. And then before you know it, she's using her racket as a as a crutch. And then she's being assisted off off the court in really harrowing scenes. Um and yeah, the, it very quickly came out that it was a calf tear. Um, look, I, I don't know an, off, an awful lot about physiology, but um, tear tears don't heal in three weeks, I don't think. Um, not calves where you, in, you're using it all the time. Not calves and yeah, I mean, even if, I don't know, even if she could turbo heal it, um you would have to just not put any weight on it, I think, for the next three weeks. So then what you're going into, so best case scenario, you're going into the French Open, you know, not only with no tennis under your belt, no practice, no, probably not even any physical activity under your belt. I mean, it's just, it looked to me like French Open over one way or another another for Simona Halep. And that's, yeah, I find that, really devastating actually um you know she's 29 i know that's only 29 she will have other chances to win the french open but you know see point earlier about how many good players there are and how quickly they're improving 
and how much it feels like the bar is being raised season upon season. It's not going to get any easier for Simona Halep. And the next time, assuming I'm right about this injury, the next time she's in a position to contend for the French Open, she'll be 30. And I'm not writing her off, but that's not ideal with everyone snapping at her heels. You know, I, I really feel for her. Plus, when you've got a Wimbledon title defence on the mm. horizon, you know, that that's something she's going to be desperate to try to be able to... Maybe she will just have to write off the French mm. Open and refocus on that. I don't know, but it, it's not like that buys her loads of extra time. That's only no. two extra weeks, isn't it? I just, I really oh. cross my fingers for her. Let's talk about something good. Um, anyway, get well, Simona. Never um, on play. We had... Well, in a minute, in a minute, uh, we had uh, Iga Svantec, I said uh, she managed to squeeze through, save two match points against Barbora Krachikova to get through and now faces Fitolina. Ash Barty, a winner over Yaroslava Shvedova, which is uh, great to see her back. I mean, it's the first match she'd won, I think, in four years because she had three years out of the sport. She'd given birth to twins, has made a comeback, and she pushed Barty for a uh, – she won her first-round match, didn't she? She won her first-round match having lost the first set six-love, and then she won two tie-breaks. Um, and then and then Barty uh, was a little bit too much – for her in the end. Matt, please could you remind us what Shredover's twins are called? I was just going to say it would be remiss of me not to mention that her twins are called Merka and Stan. Oh, oh so that great. is amazing. <laughs> I did not know that. That is fantastic. <laughs> uh, so, well, I mean, Barty just rolls on, doesn't she? She's beaten Shvedova. She's beaten Kudometova. She now faces Coco Goff. I mean, she looks head and shoulders above everybody else so far to me. Yeah. Very, mm. very impressive. And she's doing it on all these different types of clay courts. Mm. Yeah. She's got some strapping on her thigh. And I did think to to begin with today, she was seemingly having a bit of trouble with that serve pushing off. She was hitting a lot in the net. But once she got going, I think maybe it was just a case of loosening up. Oh, she was she was brilliant, really middling the ball and moving Kudometova around. Just brilliant. She's in such good form. Just on Sviontek, that was an impressive win. She saved two match points and didn't have anywhere near her best tennis and was really struggling at the start. And some fascinating quotes where she said she just completely tried to not be emotional at all. And she said, it might it might have looked like I was tanking, but I just wanted to have an attitude that was almost like I don't care because if I do care, I'm going to get angry. And if I get angry, I'm going to play badly. That emotional awareness that she has blows me away. I think more than anyone, she's the player... I have to remind myself as a, t- as a teenager. I have, a, I have that little bit with Yannick Sinner, but especially with Sviontek because of that maturity. And I think I think winning when you're not playing well is is such an important skill to develop. And that was that was a big step she took today. I think. I think Yannick Sinner was out on court watching Sviontek. Yes, he was in that yeah, match. That's right. Mm. Very cool. Good for him. Mm. Good choice, I would say. Um, what the one of the section of the draw in the women's draw, uh, Karolina Pliskova into the quarterfinals in pretty quiet fashion, just mm. going about her business That's very efficiently. Just yeah. to Anastasia Sevastova and uh, Vera Zvonareva. She beat both of them in straight sets. You're right, Catherine. I mean, she's somebody who 
you know, there, there's not a lot of chat, but she could easily end up winning this thing. Um, she's won it before. She now faces uh, Yelena Ostapenko, who hit 51 winners and 65 unforced errors. It, it <laughs> could her... be happening. Ostapenko could just be happening again. <laughs> yeah, she's had four years off and now. <laughs> <laughs> Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Rafael Nadal, I, I can't remember thinking on a Thursday of a of a clay court tournament that Rafael Nadal has kind of been the story of the tournament and yet that's what it feels like because of the nature of his first two matches in this one he's faced the man you've just been talking about Yannick Sinner and the scoreline doesn't sound overly remarkable 7-5-6-4 but my sense and I didn't watch all of it but my sense from hearing people's talk about it is that that was a real spectacle, that it was something to behold. And then the one I have seen today, I've seen virtually all of Nadal's 3-6-6-4-7-6 win over Denis Shapovalov today, and he saved two match points along the way. I mean, that was three hours, 20 minutes, um, and just showed all of Nadal's grit and desperation to win and find a way uh, with Shapovalov playing really excellently against him. But did either of you see the Sinner match? Because I I, I feel like that scoreline might be a little misleading. I did, yeah. And I thought Nadal and Sinner, I thought they were both fantastic. I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant, high-quality match. And they were basically level from the baseline. The baseline rallies were 50-50. 
Sometimes Nadal would have the egg, sometimes Sinner. So Nadal had to adopt what you might call plan B, but in the end it became the difference maker. And that's that's that little subtle variety he's got in his game to either bring Sinner forward or to come forward himself, try and play a few cat and mouse points. And that felt like the difference that, that allowed Nadal to just have that little bit extra than Sinner. Um, but I thought Nadal was playing fantastically well, which was why I was surprised when he wasn't quite at his best today against Shapovalov. I, uh, I wasn't surprised that Shapovalov played well. That's exactly the match I expect him to be up for and to bring it. And he did. He was he was brilliant. But I thought Nadal would just kick on after that Sinner performance because he was he was so good. He did he did mention some scheduling frustrations. He finished very late against Sinner and then he was on, I think, third today. And he when he mentioned it, I thought, okay, he's mentioned that because he probably thinks that's going to affect him tomorrow. But it's just another thing he won't have to deal with at Roland Garros. He's he's very unlikely to have to play back-to-back days because of the roof there now. And, you know, we saw the incredible effort that Shapovalov gave today. Can you imagine him playing that well over five sets against Nadal on clay? It's it, it, it just reminded me of what a what a task it is to try and beat Nadal because Sinner has played really well. Shapovalov has played really well. They've led in all the sets. Nadal was down in every set he's played this week and he's won four of them. And at Roland Garros, that task of trying to do it is pretty much doubled. It just I can't get that out of my head when I watch Nadal on clay, just how tough he is, how difficult it is to put him away, even when you play him well. And he's perhaps a little bit below his best. Do you know, I had exactly the same thoughts on, off the back of that match. I discussed it with discussed it with my brother that on, at Roland Garros, the equivalent match would be framed and looked upon in such a different way. It would feel like a, you know, plucky challenger gets gets a set off Nadal. Um, it it just wouldn't have been as close. Maybe I'm doing Shapovalov a disservice, but I just don't think extrapolating out the pro- proportionate length of matches, he would have been able to mount that challenge. He was already absolutely at the limit of how long he can redline for to do it over best of three. And in- increasingly, I just hear you echoing in my mind, Matt, your voice saying, Raph, it's, no, long- it's no longer Nadal on clay. It's Nadal at Roland Garros. And then... Nadal at other clay court tournaments we have to separate mm. those two things and there, of course there will come a day where we have to reframe how we feel about Nadal at Roland Garros but that day has not come for me yet and I I, I loved that Shapovalov match I still you know I'm there were still moments where I boarded the hype train with all of my luggage uh <laughs> Hand luggage, hold luggage, you know, iPad (laughs) loaded up with downloaded uh, Netflix for the journey. I was so on it. But equally, I it was it was such a. a, I don't feel like Shapovalov proved anything to me there, new or different. 
I know that Shapovalov can play brilliant tennis. I know that he's most likely to produce it for the big matches. I also know that he might double fault when it counts the most. His nerve might just fail him. And he might just go for the wrong shot at the wrong time. And I I know this is harsh, but we're talking about the finest margins here. And I felt like all of those things happened today. Um, and yeah, he, he's a player good enough to to occasionally challenge the best. And every now and then he'll beat them. But he didn't show me anything new today. Am I harsh on him because I feel so embarrassed about how often I've boarded the hype hype train and and had to de luggage myself, have to remove my luggage from the hype train? Yeah, get one of those tannoys going over. Where can Catherine Whitaker please report to the front of the plane? It's only because (laughs) I'm so invested, and it's because again I was watching it today, thinking why why do we get so invested? Why why do we all board the hype train? It's because well. One of my theories is I remember somebody talking, um, it was during a previous Olympics about gymnastics and why they found, despite the fact that having no background in gymnastics, no real knowledge of it, why they found gymnastics to be such a compelling sport. And it's because you're watching athletes do things that you couldn't even attempt at home. It's so far from your even imagination of what your body can do that it's just jaw-dropping and compelling. And most of the time, tennis, okay, you're watching people do it far better than you ever could. But, you know, you can go out there, generally speaking, unless you're completely devoid of any talent, and you can hit a tennis ball on the forehand and on the backhand side. It might be crap, but you can do it. However, Denis Shapovalov does things that we cannot even attempt, I think. There's the odd shot, which is like a gymnastics move. It's like a it's like a vault or a tumble. You know, feet off the ground, into out, single-handed, backhand winner, off balance. We can't even dream to attempt that. And it Could you imagine if it, I did attempt? Suddenly <laughs> it's like it only takes one of those shots and your luggage is on the train. <laughs> And you feel a fool. Yeah. Are those the shots that he shouldn't be attempting? Yes, most of the time. But, you know, one in five <laughs> that makes of them, me sad. One in five of them, great. Right place, right time. Need. And that's all you need. And you know that you know that that'll just spur him on to hit another four at the wrong time. <laughs> but but in that moment it's all you need. I very much enjoyed all this, Catherine, but you do realise you've just used about five minutes of your Medvedev time uh, there. So let's crack on. Because <laughs> Daniel Medvedev <laughs> entertained us royally uh, yesterday in his 6-2-6-4 defeat at the hands of Aslan Karatsev, who just felt like a like his straight man, just sort of his prop <laughs> almost. Because Medvedev... <laughs> It started going wrong, and he just knew, it was like he knew he wasn't going to win, and he was kind of trying during the points. But then he, this monologue started where he sat down at the net at the chair and he just said, um, "You know, 
uh, this is the worst surface in the world. You, you know, you, you might want to be a, 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 a what was it? Yeah, what was I'm, I'm not judging you if you like playing on clay, but I do think I am going to compare you to a dog scrabbling around in the dirt. <laughs> that, that was <laughs> that, the gist of it. Was uh, my my, my favourite one was when Jerry Armstrong, the supervisor, was sitting in the stand and he turned to him and he goes, Jerry, Jerry, please default me. <laughs> 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 we think he said just get me to Halla. Yes. Um <laughs> that, that's, that's what, what I heard. Um so anyway, he was highly entertaining. I'm I'm I don't think he'll have my uh, my backing for uh, the title at Roland Garros this time. Um, but who knows one day. <laughs> Medvedev on clay is my drug. I I cannot <laughs> get enough of it. The sarcasm. It's, it's, a, it's appointment viewing. The self-sabotage, the sheer stupidity of it. He, he loses all sense of who he is as a tennis player. <laughs> it's an existential crisis before your eyes. One of the incredible of things about it. watching Medvedev at his best is that he's so consistent and so difficult to beat and determined when he plays on other surfaces. And yet when he takes to a clay court, all that goes out the window and he just has this disdain for the surface. <laughs> and for himself. And for himself and, and for, for everything. Everybody involved. He would have disdain for us for even talking about it. <laughs> One of the biggest shames is that he keeps losing. I want to see more of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's dreadful. And I don't think he is going to take a wild card into anywhere next week. <laughs> I think he's just going to bide his time and play Xbox. <laughs> Until he can yeah. get the Roland Garros rigmarole over with. <laughs> can play some proper tennis. Uh, Karatsev didn't last long, by the way. He lost to, in straight sets to Riley Opelka. Should say that Rafael Nadal now faces a, a rematch from Madrid because he's got Zverev next. Zverev came from 4-1 down in the final set to beat Kane Ishikori today. It did look like he was done. So... Uh, um, that was uh, quite a turnaround. And uh, Nadal's Zverev will be interesting, actually, um, given the straightforwardness of, of Zverev's win over him in Madrid. Novak Djokovic has played the first tennis that we've seen from him uh, on clay since Belgrade, I think was the last time we mm. saw him a couple of weeks ago, wasn't Belgrade it? Belgrade he didn't. Yeah, he didn't play in Madrid. And... He was it was a bit tight and he was really grouchy against uh, Taylor Fritz. They were playing in the rain and Djokovic hated it, uh, but somehow managed to to, to get through it. Um, and then he just wiped the floor with Alejandro Davidovich Fikina today. Lost just three games, and that now sets up Djokovic against Sitsipas in the quarterfinals. We've had uh, Sitsipas beating Berrettini today. They played an absolutely epic first set, brilliant fun in front of a really good crowd. And Djokovic against Sitsipas, who are you picking? Who's going to win? Oh crikey! Uh, um, well, Matt's gone Djokovic for the tournament. Um. It's a pass. I don't know. I don't f- feel confident about any of it, but I'll say it's a pass. Just about go Djokovic. I think it, you know, could go. Uh, I could go either what way. What time have they scheduled Djokovic. it for? Djokovic did not enjoy his early start. It's today, third on. It's, ah. it's sort of the headline match um, just after Nadal's Zverev. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I've picked Djokovic for the tournament, so I kind of have to stick with him. He just loves Rome. He's reached mm, more yeah. finals in Rome than he has, I think, anywhere else. He doesn't like playing in the in the rain, but if he's not in the rain, he loves it. And my one question mark was over Djokovic was the motivation. How how up for it will he be? Well, I think he's very up for it. I think he sees a, a run in Rome as important for his mm. preparation for Roland Garros and Wimbledon, and it would be a it would be a statement if he can beat Tsitsipas, who's been excellent on clay this season. But it'd be tight, I think. Yeah, agreed. Mm. Very interesting. Definitely want to to see if you can figure out a way to watch. So what's that? That's um, likely to be about 2 p.m. local time-ish, I would have thought. So 1 o'clock in the UK for us. Um, and then the evening matches uh, Sviantec. We've also got uh, Ash Barty against Coca Goff around about the same time as Djokovic Sitsipas, which is a bit annoying over on the grandstand. That's not arena. on the main court. No, it's not. Uh, they've they've what? got Petra Martic against Jessica Pagula on the uh, main court, which I'm a bit surprised by. Maybe that's to do with the the way they're scheduled today. I don't know whether that's the reason, but it's um, a bit of a surprise to me, I must say. Um, but anyway, we'll look forward to all of those matches. Uh, a couple of others, um, Team and Sonigo. It looks like Team might get over the line there. He's 4-3 in a breakup, and the winner will play Andre Rublev, who's just beaten Roberto Bantistro good. And in the doubles, Andy Murray and Liam Brody got a very late uh, entrance. They managed to get in as uh, alternates, and they won one match. And they lost one today. So Andy Murray's at least got his feet on the clay. And he's been practicing as well with uh, Novak Djokovic. I heard that they had a practice set and Djokovic won it on a tiebreak, is what I'm told. Um, right, French Open qualifying will be behind closed doors. Um, and the tournament taking place from the 30th of May to, I can't remember when the final is, two weeks later. Um, and, uh, and on the, so from the first Sunday to the second Tuesday, they're allowed 5,388 spectators into the ground, which is a thousand per section. But then that increases on the 9th of June until the end of the tournament, as things stand, where they could get 5,000 people inside court Philippe Chatrier and court Suzanne Longland. So that's, uh, that could mean we get some fantastic at- atmospheres plus night sessions. Um, throughout the first part of the tournament, but only I think one night session will have fans in, and that's the uh, the men's quarterfinals mm, because uh, of the curfew. Yeah, and I think for that reason, the best matches are unlikely to be scheduled right. at night, which is a mm. tough debut for the night sessions. But at least it will build into a crescendo, and it will get better. Yeah, touch wood as it goes sure. along. Okay, well, we'll look forward to all that. We'll have daily podcasts, of course, during Running Garros. Hope you're uh, looking forward to those with us. We've also got Tennis Relived, which we're going to be bringing to you in the couple of weeks before Roland Garros. Two have already been announced via our newsletter, and those are the first one, Susan Longlon, who we're going to uh, uh, look into the history and life and career of. And Jim Courier is our second one going all the way back 30 years to 1991, my sweet spot of fandom. (laughs) Uh, 
and uh, <laughs> I've been speaking to everybody I can possibly think of to do with Jim Courier. And uh, so, yes, we'll be bringing those two shows to you. And we've we've got a couple for Wimbledon as well. So if you sign up to the newsletter, you'll be the first to hear about them um, over the next uh, week or two. Uh, we've got a ma- we've got two mascots, two lovely cats. Shibi, is it Shibi or Shibi? I can't remember. Shibi. I was never given a pronunciation guide. I think Shibi okay. or Shibi. Okay, so we've got Shibi and we've got Stephanos, uh, who are our mascots for the week, and they are beautiful cats. Uh, we have our own personal mascots. I've got Rogue. Matt's got Scouse or Mousel, and Catherine's got Zeus. Billy Jean the dog has got Billie Jean King. How cool is that? And we have our executive producer, Chris Albert Lee, a very much a top bloke. And we have shout outs, Matt. Who are they? Our first one is Jeff Augustine, who will be oh. guest editing one of our to be announced Wimbledon relived shows. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Um, well, I mean, that's a great name. The only association I can think of is something to do with the dreadful television programme, The Vampire Diaries. So let's move on. (laughs) Okay, Matt, who else we got? We have Daniel Nikshanian. Oh, Daniel. That's a very cool name. I've never heard that name. Like Daniel Evans, yes. Mm. That's right. I wonder if there are any other similarities between them. I suspect not. Let us know, Daniel. <laughs> but, uh, Daniel, thanks ever so much for your support. Matt, who else we got? We have Catherine Souter. Oh, well, hello. How, are we, How are we spelling this? K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Oh, fruity. That was a better name that you managed, a better noise that you managed to come up with than last time, Catherine, when, uh, when somebody with a K. It. I've worked on my Catherine snobbery. <laughs> <laughs> I am welcoming and embracing of all Catherines. Hello, Catherine. Splendid. It's just as well, because I think we get more people called Catherine than any other name as shout outs. Very unscientific of me, but it's just a feeling. I feel like I've spent a lot of this year spelling the name Catherine. <laughs> we'll run the numbers do you think people sort of seek us out to listen to a catherine (laughs) can't be that anyway just (laughs) tell catherine's whoever you know to listen to the tennis podcast uh, because we 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 want more catherine's listening to this right um and we'll be back with another edition of the tennis podcast on monday so tell your friends and do leave us an itunes review Look after yourselves, enjoy the quarterfinals, we'll speak to you on Monday. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.